we're just going to stand just to honor God's word. Um, so just listen as I read. It'll be on screen. We're going to read it, pray, and then we're going to jump in. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And Lord, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high and he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying he had ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower region of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We love your word. And God, I just pray that this morning you would make it alive to us. God, we don't want to hear from... Um, me, we don't want to hear from anybody on the stage. We want to hear from you this morning. So speak through me. Lord, give me the words to say this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. All right. So some of you may remember the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's a 1998 movie with Tom Hanks. Takes his men behind the enemy lines to find Private James Ryan, whose three brothers have been killed in combat. So if you haven't seen it, um, it's a pretty powerful story. And as you watch, you watch as these soldiers, they, they lay down their lives one after another at the cost of their lives to save Private Ryan. And so do you remember at the very end, Matt Damon, who's playing Pri Private Ryan, is crying because the captain who had led these troops to rescue him is leaning up on him as his life is kind of ebbing away. His life is, 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 is going. And so Tom Hanks, who's, who's playing that character, looks at him as Private Ryan, Ryan is there and he says this, the sacrifice that all these men had made to save you. And remember what he, what he said? He said, earn this. Earn this. And, and anybody else listen to that and think, what a horrible burden to put on a person. <laughs> I mean, you know, how do you do that? It, it seems like such an unfair thing to say this guy, but on the other hand, you know, I like the scent of it. It kind of makes sense because, like, you don't want the guy to go and just burn up his life and become a thief and steal, right? He'd be, come on. And, and so you, you want him to live a good life that is in some way measures up with the sacrifice that was given to save his life, correct? 
And so, now why bring that up? Because we can't earn the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can't earn it for our lives. We can't. You can't. We don't earn it. It's all grace. It's a free gift of God. And yet, Paul is going to do something really interesting in this text. The first three chapters, we've been um, hanging out in the book of Ephesians. We're all about what God has done. That Jesus Christ loved us. He came to earth and he, he shouldered difficulty for us. He took the burden of our shame on himself. And he, he took it to the cross and he buried it in the grave and he rose. And that's what Jesus Christ gave all for us. So it's the sacrifice. And he does that in the first three uh, chapters of Ephesians. And there's no commands for us. We've been talking about that in the first three chapters other than one, which is what? To remember. Look at all that God has done. Look at what Jesus has done. And then he's going to turn the corner in this passage. And after all of that, after all of this buildup, he says, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've received. In other words, live in a way that's worthy. It's, it's literally the word meaning to balance the scale. There's some weight to this. So how are you going to balance it? So live in a way that's commensurate with his sacrifice. And so that what he did changes what you do. And, and what God has done for us changes how we live among us. That, you know, that's where we're going. It's a transition from look at all that God has done to now in light of that, what are we meant to do? Recipients of that sacrifice. How do we now live in a way that's worthy of the sacrifice that he made. And he says it in verse one. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. Therefore, in light of all that he's done, in light of all the stuff we've been talking about, in light of his grace coming and forgiving you and raising you up and seating you with him, in light of his grace taking, you know, formerly disparate parties that we talked about, the Jews and the Gentiles, former enemies and making them into a family, giving you a place in the home that we talked about last week, inviting him into our house, in light of him loving you with a love that surpasses all understanding, in light of all of that, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So such a big statement. You know, a manner worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. How do you even do that? How do you even do that? And yet you hear that and you think, we should do that, right? <laughs> we should do that. One of, one of the great criticisms of the world of people who say, I follow, you know, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but then their life doesn't match, follow that, is, you know, people don't like that. We call them what? Hypocrites, right? We, we here in America, we don't like hypocrites, those kind of people whose lives don't match up with, with what they're teaching or what they're saying, right? We want to live a life that's consistent with what's God done on our, on our behalf. And so you know you want to live a life at your office that when somebody finds out that you're a deeply spiritual person, they go, well, that makes sense. You know, that's why they're so kind. That's, that's why they're so patient, because they have that angle. And, and you don't want them to hear that you're a deeply spiritual person and hear them say, hmm, really? <laughs> you know, really? I was kind of putting you in the man has no soul camp, you know? <laughs> because, so this is shocking information. I mean, it's good for you, but it's just doesn't make any sense. You don't want to hear that, right? And so you don't want to be that person. Nobody does. 
And so this passage makes sense for us. If God has done all of this on our behalf, what are we meant to do in response? And the big question of today is, what is it if I said to live in a manner worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus? What does that look like? What does that bring to mind? What do you do to even know that you've done it? (laughs) How do you know that you're on the right track? So Paul's going to tell us. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And then it says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. I love that. What is a way that we are called to live that would in some way be consistent with the sacrifice of Jesus? He says, after three chapters of all that God has done, what I'm asking you to do by the sacrifice of Jesus and my imprisonment to preach to you is bear with one another, tolerate each other, try to get along. <laughs> it's, he was basically the first person to say, why can't we all just get along? <laughs> That's what he's saying here. And you hear that and you go, is that it? You know, I thought it, he would say something more majestic like, you know, let your, lay your lives down for the nations or give all your money to the poor. But he doesn't say that. He says, just get along, people. Just get along. And, and, and that doesn't seem that dramatic, but you look around in the world and you go, okay, maybe this, this is kind of difficult, right? And, and the primary place that this generation right now connects with each other online and the internet isn't necessarily a deposit of happy and uplifting thoughts. What about, you know, even you think about the political landscape as we're going into, you know, voting season. You know, who boy, right? And it, we have a hard time getting along, don't we? And, and if, if you don't know, just take it by faith. All around the country, people have a hard time getting along with each other. And so, that's why Paul has to pile up all these words with humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so why does he pile up all that stuff? You got to have humility. You got to have patience, kindness, long suffering. Why does he say that? Because I think he knows it's going to be hard. Because it's hard to get along. It just is. Even, even among churches, you know, denominations war against each other. It's crazy. I mean, you, you, they rip each other up online. And, and some of you, you know, you've been in conversations like somebody asks, you know, somebody else, you know, where do you go to church? Well, I go here. And, and oh, you know, so where do you go to church? Well, I go, you know, over there. Oh, yeah? Well, that's, that's great. I mean, you know, if, if you like inauthentic worship, uh, yeah, if, that's, if that's your thing. I mean, oh, that's great. That's great, right? <laughs> and, or even within the church, you know, some of you, you know, let's be honest. You know, you, you came here and you've maybe been here for a couple of weeks and you're looking for people you know and you walked in and then you saw that person and you're like, oh, how did you find out about Destiny, right? So aren't you moving? You know, didn't you get transferred? Why not? <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? And there's, there's people here that you don't get along with and are hard to like. And, and let's just be honest, that's human. There's some people that can be challenging. So, you know, I remember I had, a, I had a roommate in college that used to always invite me to lunch and then forget his wallet. You ever have that friend? 
that kind of guy. I, I, I think I can say his name now. I, I think he's so far, I don't, I've never ran into him. His name was Michael Smith. And, and, and he would encourage me to sign up as a co-payer on the phone bill. And then every time the phone bill came, he would say, well, I didn't use it this month, so why don't you pay for it, you know? He was that guy. And then he would do this really weird stuff. Like, I, I don't even want to go back and remember all the strange noises that he would make at night that would keep me up. And it was kind of terrifying, really. But, but what, what I remember is probably the strangest thing, and I don't intend to gross anybody out here, but I, I think it's more funny than anything. He would get up every morning and he would put on baby powder. He would, he would kind of like, you know, put it on, on his armpits and he's kind of... <laughs> I mean, dude, if you still got diaper rash at this age, go and talk to a doctor, right? <laughs> and yet Paul is telling me that I've got this guy in my life and that I can't be fully who I'm meant to be under God until I love that guy. <laughs> I don't have to be friends or friends forever. That's a different Michael W. Smith. That's a, that's a different Michael Smith. <laughs> but you know, regardless, that's hard. And, and we're going to find that challenge here in our church. You know, we're going to find that it can be hard to get along sometimes. But it's also the biggest danger of a church. I'm not worried at all about some outside forces attacking, but I am concerned that what might happen to us is what happens to a lot of churches, and that's they get ripped apart from within. And so Paul says, with humility, basically what he's saying here, pride is cancer. He says you can't come in here with an entitled spirit. He says you, you got to come in humble, come in low. Come in to serve people with patience. It says, enduring with people's shortcomings. Everybody's got them. Come with gentleness, not kicking people when they're down, but trying to figure out how to help them and build them back up. Bear with one another. Don't give up on each other. In love. So it's not just tolerating someone while steadily building up this sentiment of resentment. You know, but praying. I really want to care about seeing Christ formed in that person's life. And with all that, it says, maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So what I think is fascinating about that is, as Paul just said, a true spirituality is unity. A true spirituality is unity. What's the first thing after you know all that God has done for you in Jesus? He says, love us. Love us. That's what he says. True spirituality is manifest in unity and getting along. And it's, it's fascinating. Today you see that and it makes sense. I mean, you think about it. I've said this before. If you love me, what? Love my kids. Love my kids, right? And so the most natural thing to do is to, to love the people that I love. It would be weird for you to come up to me and to say, Sean, dude, I think you're the coolest man. I, like, I love you and I want to hang out with you. And I think we'd be friends and we have a lot in common. But, you know, I, I just got to get this out of the way. Your three-year-old son, I can't stand him. You know, get him out of here. I don't, I don't want him in here. You and me are cool. But, you know... Get him out of here, we're, and, and we're going to be awesome. So, you know, what am I going to say? Yes, you know, I, I, he does kind of stink. Let's get him out of here. No! <laughs> That's my kid! So, you know, even if he's being difficult, my heart is forever tethered to his. So if you really want to love me, you love him, right? right. And so God says, you want to love me? Love my kids. Love my family. 
Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> and so it's fascinating to look at, at the news. Pew, Pew Research put out stats on millennials, and it says that 25%, or one in four, of millennials are, are unaffiliated with any particular faith. One in four. Now, that's significantly more than generations previously when they're at that age. Baby boomers, for instance, it was around one in 10 were unaffiliated. But what's interesting is that millennials get a bad rap, so I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna set the record straight this morning. What's interesting is the same study found that millennials pray more than generations did at the similar age. It's interesting, the same study indicated that they pray more daily, and they have roughly the same amount of belief as previous generations about life after death, about the existence of heaven and hell, and even miracles. And you don't see a massive uptick in atheists or, or agnostics within that generation. So it's fascinating. They're not affiliated with the faith, but they pray. They have a doctrinal kind of belief, and they're not becoming atheists. And you go, what does that mean exactly? And what you find, what it means, is that it's not a large-scale loss of belief in God or in the spiritual world, but what we see happening among millennials is a disconnect from religious institutions. That's why you get this popular statement, maybe you've heard it before, I am religious but not spiritual. You hear that? Have you ever heard somebody say that? I'm, I'm religious but not spiritual. What they mean by that is I acknowledge that there's a spiritual world and acknowledge a spiritual dimension in life. I'm just not tethered to any organizational structure. I, I want a sense of a world beyond the biological, I just don't want any obligation to an organization, so I'm gonna kind of distance myself. So what's caused that? Some people would say that it's the abuse of religious organizations, and I think it's fair. I've had conversations, I've talked to people who have been really abused by churches, and they, they walk away from the church. That's fair to an extent. But by and large, statistically, that's not the number one reason. It's not even close. And so if, if that is your reason, I would say that's not your reason anywhere else. It's not like you stop parenting your kids because there's bad parents in the world, right? So, you know, there's bad parents out there. That's why I don't parent my children. Like what? No, you just become a good parent, right? It, it's, you don't stop listening to all music because there's bad music out there. Or, I went to a bad doctor, that's why I've given up all medicine. No, you go and find a good one, <laughs> right? So we don't swear off all institutions based on a couple of bad apples. And statistically, that's not the case. That's not the primary thing, although that does, I think, make it sound more impressive when we say, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, because it comes off impressive, because what we're saying is, I don't want to be stifled by an institution that hurts people. Right? But by and large, what you see in most people is it's really, this is what it is. It's a growth of individualism. So the, Dr. Jean Twenge, she's a psychologist at San Diego University, has done a lot of study of millennials. And she says, we found that religious involvement is low where individualism is high. 
So individualism is a cultural system that places more emphasis on the self and less on the social. Individualism can conflict with religion, especially religion that involves following certain rules and being part of a group. And so what's fascinating about it is, it, is this, is it's not an anti-spiritual movement, it's an anti-social movement. It's an anti-us. And so it's like, I wanna be connected with God, I just don't want the hassle of you. <laughs> that doesn't sound as good, right? That doesn't sound as cool. It doesn't sound as awesome as when you, when you say it that way. I love God, but you're a hassle, right? So it's like when you go into a church late and you see the guy that's just worshiping his heart out and he has his hands up and he's going for it and the church is packed and this lady slips in late and she accidentally bumps into him. He's his worship and his eyes like, I'll go... I've seen that happen. I've actually seen something like that play out before. So what do you think happens in the room after that? You know, what, after, you know, you just did all that you could do to discourage somebody made in the image of God, right? And, and does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. And so God's interest is in us. And so here's the thing, this rugged individualism, it's not that great for us. I mean, loneliness is now becoming an epidemic. You've probably heard about it. There's news articles all over about the health risks of loneliness. There was even an article in August in the, the Rapid City uh, Journal about you know, how there's so many kids um, because of what they, what they had perceived as a lack of after-school program funding in our state. And there's so many kids that are alone and, and they're, they're, they're dealing with you know, just being on their iPads or their, their phones for this prolonged length of time, which also, they say, breeds loneliness. And so, you know, of, of, of people indicating that say, I'm very lonely, it's fascinating. UCLA does a study of college students every year, a big study of 150,000 students, and they watch trends. And they said, the trend that we're seeing is that students less and less affiliated with spiritual institutions are more and more stressed. And Kevin Egan, the guy that runs it, this is what he says. He said, there's a direct correlation between the amount of stress and the consequent drug use and damaging decisions that we're seeing in young people and their lack of socialization and connection, their lack of people, that they don't have people that they sit with and know them or know each other. And so we need us. God built us to need us. It's very, very simple, but we need to hear that this morning. God built us to need us. You weren't wired to do this thing alone. God has been fighting for us. So when someone says I'm spiritual, but not religious, I know what they mean. But what I want to say is when God unpacks spirituality, he says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The spirit of God is all about unity. So if you have a spirituality that's pushing you away from us, that's some kind of spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Because he loves us, he's building in us, and he knows that's hard. So, but there is verse four, it says one body and one spirit. It's through that spirit that we've become a body. That was the last chapter, you know, one Lord, one Jesus. We believe in one faith, not separate tribes. We all come to the same person. There's one baptism. 
There's not, there's not the deluxe package for some people and the standard for, you know, this, for others. It's that we all come through the humility of we need Jesus to save us because we're all equally a mess, right? And so, and then we have one God who's father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. We have a dad. And, and I, I love that Paul, he knows that in the Hebrew mind, numbers matter. And so three and seven are the numbers of completeness. And so he gives you the three, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, um, uh, and the Son and the Father. So the, the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And so there, there's a three. One should be one. And then seven times he, he does this. He says, we are one body, one spirit, one Lord, one Jesus. We believe in one faith, one baptism. And he goes, and that's the number of completion again. So God is, he's saying to them, God is building an us. And if you want to love him, love his kids, love us. That's how I feel with my kids. For the love of your parents, please get along. <laughs> I want to exit from my bedroom to happen some morning where there's no screaming. <laughs> It's very hard to wake up that way. And you know when you wake up in the morning and they're just like, <laughs> you know, and what's going on? Well, he took my ball. Well, just give it back. Say, please, get along, right? <laughs> but it's hard. And yet the most loving kid thing that my kids could do for me is to love each other. My greatest hope for them is to love God and to love each other, love people. And so when you have kids, it may happen one day when one of them gets frustrated, that you're gonna hear the words, I don't wanna be a part of this family anymore. And I understand that sentiment because, you know, you hurt my feelings, so I wanna get away from you. And, and, but I try to come back at that with this. No, we don't recoil or push away. We lean in further because she will always be your sister, always and forever. Mom gave birth to you. We gave you life and you instantly became a part of the family. You don't get to choose to be a part of the family. You are. All you get to choose is if you're gonna be a good member of the family or a difficult one. If you're gonna to try to help us or if you're gonna to try to hurt us. God's building in us. True spirituality is about unity. The most loving thing that we could do for Father God as children of God is for us to love one another. That's why, if I can digress for, for a minute, I believe that's why we saw the results come back from our chat report that we did. If you haven't been around, for those of you that don't know, um, we just finished a church survey where we asked everybody in the church to participate and give some feedback about the health of our church. No surprise, number one and two, like by an overwhelming floodgate um, of results is saying that the strengths of our church is worship. You're going you're gonna to come and you're going to experience some, some, a good time of worship. And number two, a God encounter. You're going to come here to Destiny and you're going to have a God encounter. Those were like off the charts, number one and two. Now, when we asked the question, what are, the, what are the top three things that you think we need to do a health check on? What are the things that we need health uh, to, to do a little bit better on? Here, this, is, this is the responses that we got. 
Now, these scores weren't terribly low on the whole spectrum of things, but here are the things that you all collectively said that we need to be about, okay? So 57% of you said that we need to do better at learning and growing in community, okay? 51% said we need to step it up in servant leadership development, or, or in other words, discipleship, if you want to put it another way, okay? And 49% of our congregation that participated said that we needed to focus on a commitment to loving and caring relationships. Do you see the us in that picture? Do you see that? So number, the number one again, learning and growing in community, that's us. The second one, servant leadership development, how are we growing each other, how are we discipling each other, that's us. And the third one, loving and caring relationships, that's definitely us. So let me just say this before I preach any more of this message to you that you're already preaching it to us, those of you that participated in the survey <laughs> when you submitted your responses. We intrinsically know that we need to connect, support, relationship, and our leadership, when we pulled them, they came to the same conclusions, by the way. And so I'm proud of the fact that our staff kind of had their finger on this before we, we even kind of got into this discussion, but now we have the hard data. And so I'm, I'm gonna say something to you that our chat coach, there's a, there's a guy that, that comes along after we take this survey as a church and helps us leaders to assess the results and make next steps. So I've had two conversations with him already, probably about three or four hours on the phone with him already. And I'm going to share something that he said when, when he was looking at the data, just the hard facts from the survey. And he started by saying something like this. He said, now understand that I've never been to Destiny. I haven't been to Destiny before, but after looking at the results, here's what I think. He says, if you come to Destiny, you're going to get a God encounter. Worship is going to be excellent. You're going to hear from God and you will be encouraged. But then he said, what it looks like to me, just looking at this data, just looking at the response from this survey, he said, it looks like there's a disconnect when it comes to people encounters. And so I'll put it in my own words now. I don't want to offend anybody by this, but please hear me out. If all we're experiencing is, is a once a week God encounter on Sunday mornings and we're not rubbing shoulders with the us in our community the rest of the week, not having any face-to-face -face time with God in the, context of, in the context of community, we're in danger of living in loneliness and isolation and insulation, which we've been talking about in our Fight Club series. It's the number one trick of the enemy because if he can get you isolated, then what happens when the storm comes, right? And so what's worse is this. This is just another national statistic. It's not in our denomination, but nationwide, the average committed churchgoer is now said to only attend on average twice every six weeks on a Sunday morning. So that goes back to our message about stop going to church and start being the church, right? You know, how do you, how do you become the church? You plant your roots and you go down deep. And that's in a relationship and commitment with each other. And that's the God in us. And that's how you flourish, right? And so does, does that mean that we should be ashamed that Destiny has an awesome work, weekend worship experience? Absolutely not. Not at all. 
Does that mean that we should put less emphasis on having a God encounter or, or you know, or encounter with God or worshiping God freely or giving voice to the Holy Spirit the way we do at Destiny? No way. I love that. I love that about Destiny. There's so many churches that are wanting to get that and we have that. But does it also mean that we, meaning us, have to rethink the importance of the us? Does it mean, men, that I really have to think about getting myself into a fight club? You know, if I haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Does it, does it mean that maybe I should think about the possibility of, of what it could look like for me to enter into relationship and community in the, with the people in the body? And so our staff, you know, has plans. We have strategy. We've talked about it for almost two hours this Tuesday in staff meeting. And I honestly can't wait to push into, you know, all these strategies as we go into the new year. And hopefully Jesus is at the center of it all. And he, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as we go. Why? Because when I look at the results of the survey, what it's really saying to the leadership of the church is that it's all about us. It's all about us. We need to do us better. So I hope you're prepared for that because it's what you asked for. <laughs> so we want to create spaces for people to meet whenever and wherever all throughout the week and support and give structure and leadership to that. And when there is a need in our family, we have communities that are built on solid relationships all throughout the church family that would go and meet those needs. That's the church flourishing. That's the church being the church. That's the church that's built on us. It's definitely not, let's go have some snacks and coffee and hang out. <laughs> so we're going to keep pushing towards the unity of the body and the us because it's deeply spiritual. God's building in us. But I know when I say some of this, some of you are getting uncomfortable because it sounds like, man, they're just trying to take my life. I'm just trying to express myself. And you're going to take my freedom of individuality and try to shove me into some mold that I don't want to be in. <laughs> But here's the good news about this text. Unity does not mean the loss of individuality. You see it here in verse 7. After all, the one, 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 you know, one God, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not mean the loss of individuality. What God is building is a unity of diversity. When Jesus rescued us, he took the different gifts and he scattered them among us. He gave different ones different gifts that we can use differently and creatively, different abilities, different bents, different temperaments, and he made us differently so that together we can build each other up. That the unity of God is looking for is not the one that kills individuality, it is a unity of diversity. I absolutely love that. It's a unity of diversity. It's fascinating. He goes into this for a minute and he quotes Psalm 68. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he ascended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended for far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And you go, what's that part about? Why is Paul even bringing this up? He's given us motivation. He's basically saying, you want this. We tend to just get around people who look like us and act like us and maybe about, maybe about the same money as us and like the same things as we do. And we tend to get around these groups. It's natural for us. But he's saying God is building a unity of diversity in his church. And you want that. 
And one of the ways he does it is this. He ties you to the bigger story. So this unit of of diversity is part of his greater story. And so he says, here's the thing. Jesus Christ descended to the earth to go and make war against the darkness. He's pushing back the darkness. Sin unravels. Sin breaks. Sin disintegrates. And Jesus comes to restore. He's bringing back sight to the blind. He's given forgiveness to a woman that was beaten down by shame. Jesus is moving into people who are possessed by demons. He's casting them out and he's making people who are in tumult suddenly have peace. So Jesus is reweaving the fabric of society where it's been broken it down. So he's bringing it back. So he came and he descended to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He died for our sins and he rose from the grave so that people who would have a, they would have a pathway back to heaven. And so through the grace of God, through the forgiveness of Jesus, and on his way there, he has these spiritual gifts, and he said, join us in that mission. I'm going I'm to give diverse gifts to you now because I've made a way into the presence of God, the Father, and I want you to take the gifts that I've given you and now help the people see it. You help the people know it. You be a part of it. I want you to join this because when I bring a unity of diversity, I'm calling you into the greater story. And so Paul says this part to motivate them. But I know some of you hear that and you're like, well, I don't understand how it motivates. I'm not getting it. So just try to imagine uh, where a diverse group of people with different gifts and temperaments and possibilities are suddenly called to a great cause. It's bigger than any one of them. And they realize the only way that we're going to accomplish this is to work together. But then there's some friction. And it's difficult. And yet, as we cling to each other, because the cause is worthy of the community, suddenly we find in the community not only a deep sense of spiritual satisfaction that we needed and a place to belong, but it also makes us better people. Just try to imagine how that might encourage a first century Mediterranean mind. It's not that hard to imagine, right? I mean, it's, it's, we watch that story over and over again in the movies. We love it. A diverse group of people brought together for different things. You've got a bow and arrow. You know, you've got an axe. Yeah, you shoot laser beams. You know, you throw a shield. Let's all get together. And so, you know, when they made the Iron Man movie, um, Thor, and Captain America, those movies, they made millions of dollars, which is impressive. But when they started corralling those cats into a movie together, The Avengers movies made billions, billions with a B, billions of dollars. Why? Because we're better together. We're better together. You want that. We want that, to be a part of a bigger story. That's what everybody longs for. People will even pay money to watch it again and again. We just love that, and we want to be a part of that. Yet, we don't naturally do it. We naturally just flow to the relationships that are easy. But if God put you in a community like this where you sit by people who are different from you and different backgrounds and it takes a while to understand each other, that dynamic and that energy is amazing. And we might just get more done. I have a friend. Her name is Kristen Harness. Her and her husband served on the worship team with me in Denver. I was a worship pastor at a church, uh, North Rock Church in in Denver. And while I was there, she started this journey to provide a safe house, a safe house um, and a resource center for minor victims of sex trafficking. Sex trafficking, as many of you know, is a huge problem 
worldwide and even here in the States. And, and part of the problem is also that even after girls get rescued, especially for minors, many times there's no place for them to go. So they get rescued and then what? You know, what's the next step? And so Kristen wanted to, to change that. So she started at first, she was rallying with her close friends and her small group in the community at the church. And they started encouraging it, you know, bring it to the pastor. And he loved her passion and gave her the pulpit. And our church started dreaming about what it would take to make this dream of rescue a reality. So watch this little clip right here. Check this out. These girls are 14, 15, 16 years old. They should be worrying about going shopping with their friends and painting their nails and having sleepovers. But instead, they're being exploited and they're being abused. And they don't deserve that. Our program at Extended Hands of Hope is a four-phase, trauma-informed, comprehensive and holistic approach to helping victims specifically who have experienced the trauma of sex trafficking. When we recover a minor who's been exploited, they're vulnerable. They have specific needs that can be met only in a specialized facility. see is that we could recover a minor who's been exploited and we could take them to an emergency type shelter, a place where they could go and have the kind of care and services that they would need, an ability to separate themselves from the trafficker, but also to begin the healing process. Currently today, we don't have the option to take minors to a specialized emergency intake facility. Some kids go back home, some kids go to treatment facilities, some kids go to detention centers. We need a specialized home for this need. As an organization, we really have a long-term vision of seeing these types of homes around the Denver area so that we can help more girls, but still stick with that small home-like environment where they're going to thrive the most. The hope is that these girls will see that they don't deserve to be exploited and that they don't deserve to be abused, but that they are loved, that they have hope and a future, and we want to help them to see the dreams that are in their heart and walk with them to fulfill those dreams. So this is the video that we used in our church community. To first cast the vision and kind of get this out there to our church body. Now, we were a church, we were part of a church that was struggling with its own finances. It's not like, it's not like we had any budget, like at all, to sew into this. But we decided that we were going to all lean in together, this unity of diversity, because not a single one of us could pay for what needed to happen. Nobody could, you know, build a house or, or make that happen. But all of us leaning in together can make a difference. And so we did enough as a church to promote and help get the word out and secure a committee and get all the groundwork done for her to secure a place. It's a reality today. 
And this was about four years ago, and it was the first kind of, of house like this in all of Denver. And so, and then what? There was work to be done. We've, we've got the place, and we got the building, and so some people had these skills to work on a building, and they could, they could go in there, and they fixed that place up, and they created spaces and rooms for the girls who were being rescued, and the place needed furnishing. So we decided... As a church, let's do this. We can lean in together and give towards that. Let our church buy them all new furniture and beds to sleep on where they can know as they lay down in peace in Jesus' name at the end of the day. That's what we were going to do. And so there were community banquets. There were news reports. There were more efforts and meetings and unique gatherings of groups of people meeting together than I can even name. But we pulled it off. Praise God. The, the Vanti house was the first house of its kind in Denver and now has been a model for these types of houses to be planted in, in, in cities all over the nation. And so it was, it's meeting a huge need and that was cool when they, when they had the opening of the house. What was cool, you saw the girls that needed rescue and you looked around and there was this crowd and it was a gathering of a group of very different people, old and young, all different kinds, all different nationalities. But because we came together, something beautiful happened. And the church, destiny, God is calling us to a bigger story. Is unity difficult? Yeah. Can building community be difficult? Yes. But true spirituality is unity. And unity of diversity calls you into a greater story. And that's what we want. And it's not just that, it's also for the sake of your maturity. You want this. You want to be in a place, a church like this, because God will let you be a part of greater things than you'd ever be by yourself. But you also need it for you. That unity of diversity brings maturity to you. This is what it says, verse 11. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He starts, he starts saying, one of the gifts that God gives us is these different functions within the church body. He gave you leaders, the apostles, and the prophets were mentioned earlier in the book. They are people that laid the foundation of the gospel, and the prophetic words from heaven are given. It's the vision that, you know, this, this is all built on. And then he gave us the evangelists, the people who proclaim the good news of Jesus, shepherds, people who nurture and care for us and pray for us. And then he gave us the teachers, people who help us understand the scripture. And he puts all those together to what? Verse 12, to equip the saints. He got a group of us together that could teach this book to help explain it, to equip you so that you can build up the body, the work of ministry for building the body of Christ. So let me tell you about a, what a, a good church staff does. This is what I think is biblical. A good church staff is like a circulatory system in the body that we're just pumping blood. We're just getting the resources to the muscles that need it. Maybe it's chest day, so let's get some blood pumping over there. Um, okay, you know, she's, she's got a big test coming up, so let's get more oxygen to the brain. You know, oh, he's got a cut on their leg, so let's send some white blood cells down there. There's a part that's hurting, so let's go solve that. You know, that's what a staff of a church does. We're just trying to get resources to you, to the us, and you build, and you do the ministry. And you, you, you help the mind think, and you help the body move, and the people here 
deal. And so that's, that's what we're meant to be, like good coaches that are supposed to build you up and equip you for the task. That's what a church is. And a staff tries to resource you so that you can take the gifts given to you. And you can say, let me build that house for those girls. This person's doing something good. Let me encourage them. This person's struggling, so let me help them. And God makes a unity of diversity so that we can all build up the body. And listen, we need you. We need you. Some of you are great at writing notes, and you need to write those handwritten notes. It's become a lost art, right? My, my, my daughter, Kella, is great at this. If I'm gone for any uh, time when she's around and, and, and she gets in my office, there's, there's a 100% chance that I'll go in my office the next day and find a note telling me how much she loves me. Almost every time, single time that happens, I tear up. And every single time, it's like, I needed that today. And so my little girl ministers to me in that way. And so you can be great at writing notes by the grace of God. And that's your gift. Some of you are great at praying for us. If you didn't know, there's a prayer time that happens here every Tuesday morning from 10 to 1 o'clock. And there are a handful that are here almost every week. And Janet Hora comes in and she's, she's in here and she prays and she prays and she dances and she waves some flags and she prays and then she prays some more. Prayer is foundational to the move of God. It's so important that we pray. And so, you know, there are some of us in the room when we hear a prayer request or we see that status on Facebook, you know, respond by flashing up the prayer hand emoticon, or we say that we're going to pray, but we never do. But there's others of you in this room that you hear a prayer request and it's no big deal for you to pray all night. It's just like brushing your teeth. I, I just prayed all night. It's the same thing for you because you have that gift and that's the gift that God's given you. We need you. And so some of you are good at organizing. You need to organize us. <laughs> so you can equip the saints to be more effective at what we do. Some of you encourage. So you encourage us. God's taking gifts and he's scattered them so you can help build us. Our gifts are given individually, but they're not just to pump you up your individuality. You don't say, well, I've been gifted for this so I can you know, build it up in my platform for my glory. No, God gifts all of us, why? So you can help us and so you can build us. Pastor Brent could sing for his own glory and it would be good. Or he can sing like he does to help us believe and it's pretty awesome when that happens, right? For the us. And so we can use our gifts for us. It's not the loss of individuality. It's the full expression of your individuality for the sake of the body to build us up, to take your gifts and use them until we all, verse 13, attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are meant to use our gifts to help each other and understand the faith more and believe more and see the grace of God manifest through the kindness to me, understand the scripture as someone explains it until we all are becoming more like Jesus. And verse 14, no longer be like children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so it's cute when a two-year-old talks like a two-year-old. But you know where I'm going, right? <laughs> it's not so cute when you get older and you keep talking like a two-year-old. We're meant to have the faith of a child, not the mind of a child. And so my kids, they're easy to trick. You know, and so it takes someone loving to help teach them and train them so they can make good decisions, right? And all of us, we have certain areas where we're easy to trick. And you might be wonderfully intellectual and smart, but you may have some deep-seated emotional insecurities and they're dominating you and God's given you a solution. You know what the solution is? It's called us. 
It's called us. Some of you are so empathetic and kind, but your mind just starts spinning with thoughts that rip you apart. And you need us to help teach you. You need a teacher to help give you peace. And so you need us. God's given us a unity of diversity for the sake of maturity so that we all grow into the people we're meant to be. Verse 15, I'm wrapping it up. Speaking the truth to each other in love so we can grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped when every part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If I have somebody say to me, I have some people say to me, well, Sean, why don't I just get together with people like me or just get together with some of my friends or get together with my affinity group or get together with these people and that's church. Why can't I call that church? Here's what I say. You know that, you know that website, match.com, that was created? They have that algorithm you know, where you could click and what you wanted in a mate and then they would, they would match you. You remember that? So that was the idea of Match.com for dating when they first founded it. And what they found over time was that there was absolutely zero correlation between what people thought they wanted in a mate and who they ended up marrying. And so zero, like zero correlation. And they thought our algorithm's busted. So they kept trying to work on the algorithm. But what they realized is that it's not the algorithm's fault. It's your fault. You do not know what you want. <laughs> and so to say, well, I'll just do this and this will help me grow and mature. All I need is my friends and I'll be mature in Christ. It's such a subtle arrogance. You don't know what you need. You don't. <laughs> so how many of you have ever led a Bible study for a group of junior high boys? I have. <laughs> and I remember in my early years of youth ministry, trying to teach a group of them the word of God. And you know what I realized? I realized I am impatient and I am selfish. <laughs> and God broke my heart about those two things. It, it had always been true of me, but it was masked in my social group. And it was exposed in how impatient I was with those boys. <laughs> and God broke my heart. And it might even be one of the most significant spiritual moments of my life. I got on my knees and I repented of my selfishness. And if you would have asked me a year before, what do, I, what do you need you know, for your spiritual maturity? I would have never said, you know, give, God's going to send me a few 12-year-old boys to just mess with me. I would never say that. Nobody's going to pray for that, but God knows. And I don't know what he has for you, but I know the Spirit of God is building a unity of diversity for his glory and for your maturity. He's inviting you into a bigger story. He's calling you to be a part of something. So don't say no, because when every part and joint is working together, this is what the scripture says, the whole body grows in love. Amen? Derek, you can come on up. And so here's the thing. We can operate as a church without you. We can. In the same way that I can operate with the loss of an arm. It's going to be a little bit more difficult, right? I can still function if I lose an arm. But it makes it harder. Every other part has to work. And it makes it difficult. The loss of an arm is hard. And an arm by itself is what? It's laying dead. You can't do anything. So here's the thing. We want you here. God made you an arm or a foot or an ear or whatever. And, and you're meant to use your gifts to build his church. And if it's not 
at this particular church, it's a part of his church somewhere. Would you stand with me? You're, you're meant to use your gifts to build up so that we can all grow in love. And we will hurt if you're not part of us, but you will be devastated if you're not a part of an us. It's worse for you. So one of God's greatest gifts that he's given us is Christ came to give his life to rescue family, family and mission together. Thank you, God, for giving us purpose. Thank you, God, for forgiveness and grace. Thank you, God, for giving us us. That many of us, as we look into the most significant moments in our life, we say it's when a person came to us and he said, you don't look like you're doing good. And God used a person to help us believe that he'd seen us. Thank you, God, for the us to help us when we're down. Thank you for the people that stood on stages like this one and taught us the word of God. And maybe for the first time ever, it made sense and we got it. Thank you for the us that took the, mu the gift of music and helped work words into a way that it came into our soul because they were put to a beautiful melody. Thank you for the us that smiled when they opened the door and we believed for a moment that maybe somebody saw us as worthy this morning. God, thank you for the us. Thank you for the unity of diversity that you've put in this body, God. Thank you for the us. There's an old song that I think some of you guys will remember that I would just ask, it might be, feel a little cheesy or corny this morning, but would you just grab the hand of the person next to you, stretch across the aisles if you need. Let's put the words up there to this old song. You remember this? Go ahead. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. And bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with love. Let's sing it one more time. Bind us together. Sing, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. And bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Come on. God, we'll, we'll do the, the possible this morning, but we're, what we're asking you to do, God, is the impossible. We'll do the natural. God, we're asking you to do the supernatural. God, you can do something that's so much bigger than us individually when we are the church together. Help us to flourish in this community.